0: Morning Steelers fans and welcome back to The DK Steelers Podcast. I'm your host Chris Carter joined by my friend and co-host Dale Lolly. Dale, there wasn't practice yesterday, but you wrote a huge story that's right at the top of our website and it's about Kevin Colbert. He spoke to the Pittsburgh media yesterday. A lot of stuff came from here, but it was there were a lot of questions because COVID has caused a lot of problems. We have no idea what the situation is going to be like with salary cap, and everyone's asking questions about who's going to sign. You wrote a a lot into this piece because there was a lot of information there. What were some of your biggest takeaways about Colbert explaining their challenges in going through with this?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing, Chris, uh, my takeaway was that the Steelers aren't going to sign anybody to a contract extension before the season starts, and that would include Cam Hayward. Uh, I'm not going to say uh, I'm 100% certain that's not going to happen, uh, but I'm, I'm based on what Colbert said, I, I don't think it does happen based because they just don't know what the salary cap is going to look like next year. They have to, as Colbert said, operate under the assumption uh, working off the floor, which is $175 million. And if that's the case, then they're nearly $15 million over the cap uh, going into next year. With 40 players under contract, and uh, you know a number of of, of starters heading into uh, unrestricted free agency, um, they would then they would be one of 14 teams who enter uh, 2021 over the salary cap, including the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, who are 90 million dollars over the cap if it's 175 million dollars. Which it's one of the reasons why I think you know once this season's over. In fact, I know that once this season's over the NFL and NFLPA are going to sit down again and negotiate this thing out again they're going to look at the numbers uh they'll have at that point you know the, the what the revenue numbers were for for uh, 2020 remember neither side really knew what that that was going to look like it they were projecting this when they sat down and came up with that 175 million dollar number but well, once the season's over they're going to have a, a firm idea a firm knowledge of what the salary cap was or what the, uh, what the revenue stream was. And then they can go from there in terms of making sure that, uh, you know, they, they, they do this in a situation where neither side wants the salary cap to go down to $175 million. That doesn't, that doesn't serve the owners. Well, uh, you know, not only do you have 14 teams that would be well over the cap, you've got another, you know, four or five teams that would have less than $10 million available uh, essentially just enough money to sign their draft picks. Um, you know, so that, again, they the, the NFL owners aren't going to want to go into next season with only 12 teams uh, capable of, of adding any free agents. And by the same token, the NFLPA isn't going to want that because they're going to see a lot of, of veteran players released with nowhere to go. Uh, if there's only 12 teams to sign those guys, A, they're not getting contracts that are are, are going to be equal to what they they were playing for in 2020 and B it's going to be a buyer's market because you're only going to have 12 teams capable of signing those guys.
0: Yeah. And that's, that, that's, what she said, because it's going to be, uh, it's a good point that you make there because there's going to be guys that, 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 that get released. And then, you know, even among the teams that, that, you know, they're able to keep who they can, you know, it's going to be tough on, on, on those free agents because now you're dealing with a lot less money in everyone's in everyone's pockets to be able to bring you in. So, you know, typically, you know, it, it's often said by the money heads that, you know, if an athlete can get if a, if a major player in the NFL can get to free agency, that's where they can get super dollars. Um, and even if they're not a major, like, you know, Kirk cousins getting the deal that he did, you know, things like that can happen to you when you get into free agency. But this, this seems like it would be a different situation because there are sure there'd be some teams that, that are trying to spend, but most teams are probably looking at, it at the same situation you know, the Steelers are, even if they're not going to be over the cap, they can't sign what they what they used to. You know, the, the roster composition is going to be different. And, and and like you said, the Steelers had several players in that mix. Uh, you know, at the top, it's Cam Hayward. And, and, and honestly, if you had told me back when we first started talking about this issue back in March or April or May or whenever it was, that Cam Hayward would not be signed, I, I thought you would be joking. Because I did think that at some point, there would be some sort of agreement, some sort of news where the, where the nfl would be like okay we can we can survive this we'll make it so that teams can do what they have to do and then the steelers would make a move on this but you know this has been the steelers and kevin Colbert's mo for a while that you know they're not doing they're they're not going to take actions that involve risk on a future if they don't know that, what that what the foundation is for making those decisions and you know, much like how you were telling everyone back when everyone was just scre- was, was screaming, you know, why aren't they signing free agents before they try before they traded to, traded away Antonio Brown, or why were not they doing anything? And you talked about how their entire process was slowed down. Similarly, this looks like a process that's slowed down because they don't have a foundation to make these kind of decisions. Um, so. You know, you got people like Cam Hayward, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner, Villanueva, you know, Banner, Filer, Dupree. Uh, there, there's so many guys in here that fit that list. And you, you mean to tell me that none of these guys are, are going to be signed to anyone? I know you said you can't guarantee anything, but that just seems like a, like a really tough ro- uh, road to hope uh, for, uh, for, for the Steelers, you know, going into next season if they keep up their policy of not
1: negotiating during seasons. Yeah, and, and I asked Colbert directly about that today, and he said that's going to be the case. That they're they're not going to negotiate, uh, you know, once the season starts. Even though you know we we have some extraordinary circumstances, um, they're going to continue with that with that longstanding policy. And that policy is in, in place uh, for a reason. Um, you know, I was I was covering the team in 1993 when they when they did negotiate still negotiate contracts during the season. Uh, that was, of course, the first year of, of unrestricted free agency. And it caused some hard feelings in the locker room. Uh, you know, imagine if if the Steelers go into the season and they, they can't come to a contract terms with uh, Cam Hayward, but they, for example, do sign Matt Filer, well, then Cam Hayward's going to be going, oh, wait a second. I thought I was the priority. Yeah. Or vice versa, you know, if they sign Hayward and now, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster or James Conner go, well, oh, wait a second, what about me? And they say, well, we're not going to do you now. Well, what's, that, what's the reaction of the player going to be? So I think that the, you know, their, their plan of, of not negotiating these deals once the season starts, uh, you know, and that's a blanket statement for everyone, uh, it, it does kind of give them an out here. Like, hey, look, we tried. Uh, we couldn't come to an agreement. We'll talk again once the season's over. And I think that's the situation they're in now with, with a lot of these guys just because of, of the COVID situation. I know some teams around the league are are signing guys, including the Eagles starting to talk with Zach Ertz about a a contract extension. Again, that tells me that that NFL teams think that this this revenue uh, for 2020 uh, or the salary cap for the 2021 season is going to come in higher than $175 million. They're not signing guys to some of the deals that have gotten done here over the last couple of weeks if they don't think that the cap is going up or at least staying the same as what it was in uh, 2020.
0: Right. And be, and I think that's an important distinction is that when they announced that 175 million was the floor, that was just, it. it was the floor. It wasn't the guaranteed, Hey, that's how much you have to spend next year. So there's a, there's a chance that it could be higher now, but what do you think? Manag- Management-wise, uh, from a, from a managerial position, the Steelers look at this. What do you think that the the difference in opinion is there when you see uh, the, the Steelers not make making these moves, and then you see teams like the Eagles, who you just said, if it is that floor, it's one hundred and seventy-five million. You know, the uh, and they're going be ninety million over over the over the cap, and they're trying to sign a tight end. You know, that, that just that just seems like these are two different teams in the same state that are on completely different, uh, you know, levels of what they think things are going to be. You know, what do you think leads to that kind of – those kind of vast differences in decisions?
1: Well, I mean, every team has its own plan and how it wants to go about things. And, and uh, you know, the Steelers always spend right up to the ca- edge of the cap, uh, as do the Eagles. But, obviously, the Steelers feel that, uh, you know, they've got – some reason to, to to be cautious here. They don't want to mortgage the future at the expense of, uh, you know, you know, having to cut a bunch of good young players or, or let them go because they signed uh, Cam Hayward to a, a massive deal. And honestly, that's what he's going to get. I mean, you're looking at, you know, 17 or so million or eight, you know, somewhere in that range uh, for Cam Hayward, that's the going rate. And, you know, it, it will be the going rate at the end of this season as well. Um, you know, so if they don't get this done, it will get done at some point. I don't see Cam Hayward playing elsewhere.
0: I mean, it, it it just seems insane to me to think of that. I mean, Cam Hayward from the Pittsburgh area, you know, get you know been, been a bit Steeler for like your first round draft pick, and he's been he's been the heart and the soul of that defense for several years. He's a leader in the locker room. You know, I, I remember you know when you know when when, thing, when things when would go down with the Bengals in those years with Vontez Burfict, and uh, and there would start to be some scuffles. I remember seeing Cam Hayward, he would just jump into situations situation and say, back up. And you know, the Bengals players that were chirping would legitimately back up. It, he's respected, not just in the Steelers locker room, but across the league. And we even saw that with the voting uh, over the past couple of years, now that he's become an all pro and, and he's, people are starting to recognize, Hey, that guy's, you know, if he's not second best at defensive tackle or interior defensive lineman, he's, he's, uh, he's right among that top three, four, uh, you know, three or four guys. So, um, I, I, just, I agree with you. I, just, I think that there has to be a way that they, that they keep Cam Hayward uh, for the long term, just for all, all the things that he brings to the team, not just on the field, but off it. Uh, we're going to cut to a quick break. We've got a lot more to talk about here as far as what's been going on with the Steelers right after this. Welcome back to the DK Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, here with my co-host, Dale Lolly. Now, Dale, you and I were just talking a lot about Kevin Colbert, the details that you got out of him yesterday in your article, um, which you can go read right now at dkpittsburghsports.com to check out all of Dale's insights there. Um, But we also got to talk about what we see here as far as impacting the team's draft process moving forward. Because normally, you know, every, while everyone's talking about, you know, the Steelers and how they're playing during the year. There's the background that's going on as they're they're evaluating the talent that they want to bring in next year. And COVID didn't just mess up the salary cap. It's, of course, you know, messed up a lot of college football. The, you know, two major conferences aren't going to be playing. Some major players have opted out uh, what? How do you think this is going to change? You know the, the way that this the, their scouting department operates, or who they value when they're looking at these draft
1: picks. Well, I think you know the first thing is, is that, as I reported in the last week's uh, Friday Insider, uh, the NFL still hasn't given teams the okay to, to to travel to college campuses yet. So, and I don't expect that to happen anytime soon. Uh, you know, so scouts aren't going to have that ability to go into a college campus and and do any research on these guys. Watch them in practice, not just in game situations. Talk to their coaches. Uh, talk to the position coaches. Talk to the people in the building who deal with these guys on a daily basis uh, to get that background information. Um, Kevin Colbert did say uh, yesterday that that uh, you know they will be traveling to games, uh, the ones that are played. Uh, you know the, they'll mostly be driving to those, but there will be a few flights. But you know, you can go and watch a player in a game, but that doesn't tell you much. You know, you can say, well, I like that guy, but that doesn't, you know, show you about much about his character or his off the field, and all, you know, that kind of stuff, the things that you would learn by going on campus. And the other part of the equation that Colbert mentioned was the fact that, you know, if you looked at the All-American team, the AP released uh, earlier this week, there were six guys on there who were first team All-American, first or second team all Americans who've already opted out of playing in 20, you know, in this season, this college football season. Um, You know, Colbert said that, you know, if, if it comes down to it, he's going to lean towards the guys who actually played football this year, as opposed to a guy who maybe uh, didn't play in 18 months because you haven't seen any fresh tape of that guy playing college football. Um, and, And I think that number of guys or players who have opted out is only going to continue to grow. Because if I'm a young, if I'm a football player, and my school's now playing in the spring, I don't know that I'm real interested in 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 playing football in the spring, knowing that I'm then going to be drafted and going to go immediately uh, to an NFL team and get ready for a 16 game season. Um, And and, oh, by the way, what happens if I get hurt during the the spring college season? Then maybe I don't get drafted at all. So I think you're going to see more opt outs. And as Colbert said, it's going to be awfully difficult to to, uh, to, look at those guys, especially if they opt out before having played because they haven't played football. Think about guys, for example, Patrick Queen was the first-round pick of the Ravens this year. Yeah. He was a one-year starter at LSU. He was stuck behind Devin White, uh, who came out two years ago, was you know the fifth overall pick. Uh, he was not a full-time player at LSU. So what happens if a guy like that says, you know what? I don't want to risk this. I think I can be a a top draft pick this year, at least be drafted. So I'm not going to play in the spring. Well, what tape do you have to look at of him? Right. You know, he'd be played here and there in LSU's defense a couple of years ago, getting, you know, just a handful of snaps a game playing behind Devin White. There's going to be a lot of that this year.
0: You're right. I mean, and. T- two players locally uh, that, you know, we got, you know, Micah Parsons, the, the linebacker from Penn State, who was supposed to be, you know, somewhere heralding as a top five pick in this upcoming draft. And then you got Jalen Twyman, of course, from Pitt, the defensive tackle who was being looked at as, you know, a top 20 type of pick, uh, you know, in, in in the first round. Uh, I, that, that just makes things so hard to evaluate because you're saying, okay, do I go off this tape from a year ago? You know, they've been working out basically that's all they could do. Uh, you know, that's, that just that just makes things so much harder, and at the same time, then you got other players who are who are going to be playing, you know, in in, in this situation, and saying like, hey, what if that moves up? Like, for example, you know, uh, people were looking at Michael Parsons as he, maybe he's the top linebacker. What if that's now Dylan Moses because he's going to be playing with Alabama, and Alabama's going to be, you know, their stage is going to be that much bigger because there's going to be less college football to watch and you know, I have to wonder how that, uh, how that works for the guys up top. And then, you know, what the Steelers do, they rarely pick among those top guys. You know, they're going to be looking at those guys lower down, like, you know, you know, guys that you know might not be projected for the higher first round, but that could be floating around and you might see a person, a player like, you know, on the opposite end of pit, you know, Paris Ford who didn't go into the draft last year. Uh, and he's, he's there, he's their star safety. Um, and right now, a lot of people are slating him as maybe a second round pick, but, Say he has a big year in the ACC. If this Pitts defense has a lot of t- has a lot of talent and experience on it, you know maybe he boosts his draft stock up there. This may be the craziest year to try and predict or project who you know goes where and who's trying to be targeted. Because you can say, oh, okay, well these the, this NFL team makes appears to have these type of needs. But the bottom line is, you know they they're, they're going to be you know the, the, you're going to be looking at teams that are saying okay do we do we hold on to the value from their 2019
1: performance or do we more value these players that are that, that blew up in 2020 yeah you're absolutely right and it's going to make for a very uh, interesting draft process maybe even more so than than what we saw this past year when you know they basically shut down all of the workouts uh you know before anybody got them in last year it was all about evaluating guys off of film well this upcoming draft uh you know draft process, It may be more about, hey, what are these guys doing at their workouts? It's going to be a complete opposite of what we just saw.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's going to be be a completely different process. Um, You know, Dale, in your experience, you and I have talked draft for the past, what, two years now, and we've gone over who we think and who we like. You know, as a person person who evaluates collegiate talent, you know, what kind of weight? are you holding personally on, on athletes that you're going to see this fall? And maybe even this spring, if those, if someone plays in the spring that that enters into the NFL draft, I I think that'll be a rarity, but um, you know, what kind of, you know, a weight are you putting onto this? Because, you know, this is a very special situation. You know, do you look at these athletes with a higher regard because they went through this tough process and they found a way to stick it out? Or is this kind of like a, you know, I'm going to put a, a, you know, an asterisk during everything because you know, two major conferences aren't playing, and,
1: you know, there's all these other factors that normally wouldn't be here. I, I think you have to look at this all on its own, because um, remember, I mean, one of the, the nice things about, uh, you know, conference championship games and bowl games and those kind of things is that you often get to see the top talent from each conference uh, play against other guys who are, who are very talented. Right. Uh, by, by taking the Big Ten and the Pac-12 out of the equation, um, you know we 've lessened that pull, so you know you might get to see that defensive end that you like. He may only play one n f l prospect uh, this year as opposed to the two or three that he would you know might face if if some of these other conferences in the bowl games are taking place so uh you know it really it 's going to 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 make the process that much more difficult um you know is that is that star receiver how many times is he lining up opposite somebody who 's also going to be playing on on Sundays right. in the future, not all that. You know, it just doesn't happen that often, and it's probably going to happen even less this year because of the uh, the opt outs and the teams that aren't playing.
0: Yeah, there, I mean that that's so much to consider. Uh, and, and like you said, with with the talent that's not there, you know, it's rare when you already get a chance to line up against a guy who's going to be you know another top tier talent. You know, you know, or even just play against teams that have those top tier talents. You know, I remember the Rose Bowl. When it was uh, it was Juju Smith-Schuster and Chris Godwin on uh, opposite sides, you know, the field, you know, and it was just like who could make the more big plays at the wide receiver position, and uh, you know, you saw Juju and Godwin just, just just pour it all out, and now they're two of the you know two two of the better receivers in the NFL, you know, you know who's to say that that happens now because. You know, both the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are gone. <laughs> you know, uh, um, you, so you can't. I mean, that's just insane to me. Like, there's no traditional Rose Bowl, and and, and like you said, that that's where I got to see. Okay, because all year long, when I'm, you know, when I when I'm, you know, you guys have seen me write Carter's Classroom. You guys have seen me evaluate NFL stuff. But that whole time, I am looking at colleges and seeing who's doing what. And 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 like Dale said, I, I love it when I get the chance to say, okay, this group doing, doing well with this group. And, you know, I, I, I want to see how they, how they translate, you know, how this PAC 12 player does when he goes up against an ACC, you know, defense or an or an SEC defense, because when they sh- if they can show me, they can excel there. And it's not just the, the conference that they in that's, that's often just high flying. Then, you know, then I'm like, okay, yes, we got, yes, we got to look at this guy a little bit closer to see what is, what his skills are here. I, I, we're probably not going to get much of that this year, and it's insane to think that. I think the biggest thing you might see is that with the Big Twelve, you know, if, if they get to go up against some uh, some ACC and SEC teams, you know, on you know in a postseason. But th- this is this is going to be really tough, Dale. I don't. As an evaluator, I you know, I'm I've been racking my brain on how I'm going to be able to judge this class.
1: Yeah, it's going to be real interesting, and I guess as, as I said, you know, you'll have to look at each individual situation on its own and and uh, judge it by that
0: absolutely dale thanks as always it's always great to have your insight on the show y'all, y'all see why i learned from this guy he's, 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 all this he all the stuff you here but go read his top story it's on kevin Colbert. he's got five thoughts coming out on this you know he you know dale is the is the man this is why i i'm glad working under him at, at dk pittsburgh sports dale thanks again for being on the show we're gonna get to one more break we come back Y'all got me started, and it's time for me to tell you, don't get me started, right after this. Welcome back to the DK Steelers Podcast. I'm Chris Carter, and you're listening to Don't Get Me Started. Don't get me started about Keith Butler. Now, I base this. Again, this is going to be another sort of don't get me started based in uh, Chris got receipts because I do. And I remember, and, and th- to, uh, to understand, this was sparked off of an article that Dale wrote earlier this week about uh, Keith Butler Right, you know, planning, planning, planning for uh, the Giants game already, and talking about what the Steelers have and all the weapons that they have. Um, and it just reminded me of things that I remember saying about Keith Butler back in 2016 when I first actually started working for this company. Um, that was the first season that I recovered with DK Pittsburgh Sports, and I just remember looking back at the time. And thinking like you know, like I remember people saying, "Uh, Keith Butler, he doesn't know how to how to call defense. His defense sticks. And going into that season, it was because in 2015 they were not good. They were 11th in points, which actually wasn't bad, but they were 21st in yards. Um, the year before, in 2014, they were ranked 18th across the board. You know, that's that's not the Steelers' standard of what a defense is supposed to be. I mean, in 2016. You saw you saw that those numbers improved they were ranked um uh, they they were ranked 10th in points and 12th in yards allowed and uh, we saw in 2017 they jumped up to seventh in points allowed and fifth in yards allowed um, and then then in 2018 we saw that dip again with 16th in points and sixth in yards allowed and you know for all that time people saw the inconsistency because you know Steelers fans, and, and you've heard this saying before Steelers fans were spoiled I grew up in Pittsburgh I grew up watching the Steelers and I had a father who was a football high school football coach and he would just tell me like man you know people don't understand how hard it is to put teams together to put greatness together and how and how hard that is and people didn't understand that back especially like you know I got to see in the once Dick LeBeau took over the defense back again for the late 2000s between 2005, we go from 2005 to 2011, I think 11. You look at the Steelers' defensive rankings. Uh we'll, uh, we'll go back to 2004. I believe that's when Dick LeBeau took back over. They were they were first in either points or yards allowed, or even both in some occasions. One, two, three, four, five, six, six years between 2004 and 2012. That's insane. And Steelers fans kind of got used to that. Um, and we, you know, we saw when the dip happened and then Dick Bo left. Keith Butler took over, and people said, Man, his defense stinks. And they looked at the, the secondary and how bad it was. And was something that I said a lot, and something that Dale said a lot, was that the Steelers didn't have the guys. Something that Dale will always say on on SNR, and he'll always say he'll say in his articles here on DKPittsburghSports.com. He'll say it's not it's not about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmys and the Joes. Um, and, and and I know that's not explicitly his statement, but that's something that I that, that I've always picked up from Dale. And I, you know, we I was agreeing the entire time. I'm like, look, the scheme's here, but you need a safety that can do this, and they don't have a safety that can do this. You know, and you started to see some semblance of a defense get formed in 2016 after that loss to the Cowboys, when you saw Ezekiel Elliott just break them, and how tough it was on Lawrence Timmons in his last year with the Steelers, but you saw the emergence of Ryan Shazier after that. And them trusting him to be the main guy in the middle of their defense, and you saw how that changed the defense, and how after that they put up serious numbers, and that's what got them to be a top ten defense that year. And then in twenty seventeen they were on their way to being that. They were they were they were seventh in points allowed and, and points allowed, and fifth in yards allowed. And Ryan Chazier was the key to that defense that led them to that. that was part of them being thirteen three, and I wouldn't say led actually because the offense was was better that year. But still, point standing when Ryan Chazier was there, they could fix a lot. Keith Butler didn't have to do everything. But of course, unfortunately, Ryan Chazier had a horrific injury. He was paralyzed for a time. He's recovered since, but he was the X factor. He was the Polamalu of that defense. If, and if you don't if you don't understand what I'm saying, remember in the late 2000s, in 2008, when the Steelers won the Super Bowl, they were both first in points allowed and first in yards allowed. They were the best defense across the board. In 2009, Polamalu gets hurt. They miss the playoffs. They go nine and seven. They go, they're twelfth in points allowed, fifth in yards allowed. 2010, Polamalu not only comes back. What is the defensive player of the year? And where's the defense? First in points allowed, second in yards allowed. Polamalu was the go factor. He was the X factor of that group. Just like Shazier was the X factor for that 2016-2017 run at the defense. Had he not gotten injured, it would have been a whole different ballgame. But they've had to retool this defense so much because of all the pieces that they've tried and, and they couldn't get in and you know certain things didn't work out. And for years, Dale and I were telling people, like, you know, this defense, it's not about Keith Butler. It's that these guys aren't, aren't good enough. Artie Burns wasn't good enough. Cody Sensabaugh wasn't good enough. You know, Antoine Blake. You know, Ross Cockrell decent. But again, you needed stalwart guys out there. And all of a sudden, the Steelers have those guys. And they ranked in a year with absolutely no offense. With the worst offensive rankings, you have to go back to 1998 to find a worse uh, we're a lower ranking in points for in the Steelers history than last year. And even with the worst offense since 1998, that defense was fifth in points allowed and fifth in yards allowed. They were a top five defense in the NFL. And with most, most of those guys adjusting for the first time to the team, make Fitzpatrick it Patrick was brought in mid season. Steven Nelson, first year on the team. Devin Bush, rookie. And they were missing Stephon to it. That th- th- that defense, the defense that you see right now, everyone's so excited about the defense. The defense can just carry them. I hear all the praise about and excitement about the defense. And they deserve to be praised, and, you, and Steelers fans deserve to be excited about that defense. But what I'm not hearing is a, hmm, maybe we were a little wrong about Keith Butler. Because the people who were coming after him all the time were. I saw the machinations of those defenses. The overloading of blitzes because they couldn't win with four guys up front and and how that would work sometimes, but it was a gamble because they didn't have the guys to always win in situations. But the defense would at least show up for most of the times and at least say, hey, we're not the most talented group, but we're going to put the offense, who's the extremely talented group, with the guy that was the best receiver in football for six years, a guy who was one of the best running backs of of, 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 the, of the of that of that time, uh, a, a, a franchise quarterback who's going to go to the Hall of Fame, an all pro in all pro center, an all pro guard, you know all that talent, and then still having playmakers like Keith Miller in some years and Martavis Bryant, Juju Smith-Schuster, and all those guys, they expected the offense to carry them through those games, and you know that that balance didn't work out for any championships, but. The point was, was that back then, when people were, when, when people, I, I I kept arguing with people almost like every week, it's Keith Butler's fault. He's the guy that doesn't know how to call the defense. The, the, it's, it's not the, it's not the players on the field's fault. When he was trying to get a pass rush going with Jarvis Jones. When he had to rely on Cam Thomas as a defensive tackle. When William Gay was his best cornerback. And that's not a slight to William Gay. William Gay was a very solid NFL veteran. Uh, did very well in the Steelers system. He deserves more praise than what he uh, what, what he what he got. But he was not, but unfortunately for his timing, he didn't come into his prime, which which he which what he said was partially was working closer with uh, defensive backs coach Carnell Lake. He didn't come into that prime until after the era, the great era of Steelers defense of that late two thousands. Uh, withered out but Keith Butler taking over the defense making them something I I, I I said back then that that defense had potential but they had they needed certain things to work out and they needed edge rushers they needed a pass rush they needed to be able to win with four so that he could be more he could do more with the secondary behind him um and they and they needed guys in the secondary that they could trust to be supreme playmakers um, and, and people didn't want to hear it. They're like, no, this is, this is Keith Butler's fault. No, he's, he's, I know I just did this. I, I did a lot of this for Tomlin, uh, you know, in, a, in an episode earlier this week. Might've even been yesterday. The whole week's jumbling together. Excuse me, because, uh, just how long this week has been. But this is just a reminder to the people that, that, that were looking at this and just seeing the results on game day and just thinking, oh, Keith Butler, he's the problem. No, look at. Look at certain situations. Look at where a player is, and look where, look what the lineups are. Most often than, more often than not, when you look at the reasons why certain players lost, why the Steelers lost defensively in certain situations, it's just because they had a guy in position, and he didn't get the job done. More often than not. Now, sometimes yes, there were complete busts as far as communication goes, and again, that's another on on field problem. But there were times when there would be a man there; he'd be run, he'd be running with his guy. Wouldn't be able to make a play on the ball in the air. And yes, that attests to the Steelers' inability to draft really good people in the secondary um, throughout the 2010s, because we all know that they had their their, their swings and misses. Um, but that's why they went and traded for Minka Fitzpatrick. That's why they went and signed Joe Hayden. That's why they went and signed Steven Nelson and... Now you have a secondary that you that you built around, and a front and a front that can win with four people. I talked about we talked about that yesterday with Dale talking about how the Steelers defense can win with four people. Now, now Keith Butler can do more of the things, and you saw last year they did more of the things that they needed to do on defense to be a dangerous group to be one of the best in the NFL. Let's see how they do this year. If they stink this year and they're healthy, I'm not you know you know. If, if, if T.J. Watt and Vicka Fitzpatrick and Devin Bush all go down, then defense is in trouble again anyways. But let's see how they do this year with, with a healthy group. Even if you know if one guy goes down, okay. But you know if, if they have a mostly healthy group with their playmakers all ready to go, let's see how they do. Now, if they stick this year, if the defense folds it up and can't get it done this year, okay, then that, maybe that's a point. But we saw how last year that wasn't the point. We saw last year how the defense continued to put the offense in t- in situations to win, and sometimes won against quarterbacks like Philip Rivers. Heck, they almost got him to win against Russell Wilson, who's in his prime right now, and they did get him to win against the at re- uh, the time the reigning NFC champions, the 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 Los Angeles Rams. Almost called them St. Louis. Gosh, so much changes so fast in this league, but. I just, I just remind everyone, when you're, coming, when you're coming for a coordinator, understand what they're working with. And the same thing goes for Randy Feekner last year. And I have my problems with Randy Feekner. I think that certain things didn't work, but they had nothing to work with at the quarterback position. Trust me, when I watched that, that Niners game at the, at the beginning of the season when Mason made his first official start, well, first start, you know, do have to say official, it was, just, it was just his first start, there were guys open all over the field. And he wasn't seeing him, and he was he was nervous and he wasn't getting getting the job done. And when you're drawing up plays that, that they're not taking advantage of, you gotta drop yeah, then you gotta start finding different ways to say, okay, since he can't get it done this way, we have to find more creative ways to get it done that way. So, we'll see about Randy Feiener. He gets Ben back, we'll see how the offense is. But the point is is that Keith Butler when all the when all the people were coming after him for years and telling him what you know, that he stunk at his job and this that and the third and I remember people were making fun of him because he said the wrong Bengals tight end's name one day and it was a it was a simple mistake as far as you know just like in the video and people think, like, oh he's so clueless he doesn't know what he's doing and now all of a sudden the defense is great and I don't I don't hear any praise for Keith Butler. So when the Steelers defense does great this year Remember, look at Keith Butler and be like, "Hmm, maybe that guy knows what he's doing. Maybe he's been building this. He's been building this defense for years, and now it's ready to come to fruition. And we'll see what he's really got." But y'all got me started, and that's don't get me started. The segment here at the end of the DK Steelers podcast, and that's the end of our Steelers DK Steelers podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you're enjoying the show. Um, uh, if you are, please. Go to Apple Podcasts right now. Uh, if you want to help the show, get the word out about what we're doing. Rate us five stars. Leave a positive comment. Uh, tweet at me. I'm at Carter Critiques on Twitter or tweet at the company, at DKPGH Sports. Follow us. We will follow you back. I will follow you back. Um, we, are, we so appreciate all our fans, all our lunatics, all our subscribers. Um, if you're not a subscriber, again, check us out. We're $24 a year right, right, right now. Um, we got a lot of great content. I got stuff up on Pit. If you're a Pit fan... Pitt lost its starting cornerback to Mathis. They got there's a competition right now to, to to beat it out, and I'll I'll go over you the two the top two guys that are fighting out in camp right now. If you want to read about that, Dale's got all the stuff on Ben Roethlisberger, on the Steelers not having fans, on on you know everything that's been going on, and especially with all the protests going on, we've got talk about in hockey because now the protests have, have spilled over there. So much to read about on our website. Go check us out at dkpittsburghsports.com. I'm Chris Carter. Hope you all have a great weekend.